Welcome to the Survival Guide podcast, a short series of daily impactful episodes full of ideas and tips on how to thrive in survival mode during the corona crisis. Every weekday, with the help of special guest expert, we'll be exploring different tools to add to your survival toolkit. So strap yourselves in and get ready to be inspired as we show you the way to survival. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Survival Guide podcast. I'm Mark Stabina, former professional rugby player and now leadership consultant with Winning EQ. What does that mean? Well, basically, we help individuals and teams achieve excellence and perform better in sports, business, and in life. And that's also why I created the Survival Guide ebook, which is free and yours, ready to download. If you haven't done so already, please go to winningeq.com right now or just click the link in the show notes below. And also, please pass on the link as a gift to friends, family, work colleagues, just anybody who could use a little lift and some guidance right now to help navigate through these stressful, uncertain times. And this podcast is a way to bring that ebook to life and expand upon some of the topics that are discussed with the help of some special guest experts. Now, the special guest that we have today and what we are going to discuss is very close to my heart. We have with us Ed Jackson. Now, like me, Ed is a former professional rugby player. Also like me, Ed suffered a serious neck injury that ended his career prematurely. Unlike me, Ed became a quadriplegic and was told that he would never walk again. He has not only defied the odds, got back on his feet and indeed is walking again, but what he has accomplished and what he strives to accomplish since his injury is nothing short of inspirational and extraordinary. I'm really excited to, to talk about and share with you some of his experiences and what's, what he's up to and, and what he's planning next. So uh, let's not wait anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce all the way from the UK, Ed Jackson. Ed, mate, welcome. And uh, given your recent accomplishment, which we'll talk about in a moment, I'm sure you're inundated with podcasts, interview guests, appearances, TV, radio. So we really appreciate that you've given your time to us today, buddy. Well, my pleasure. Good to be here. So, Ed, uh, that was a very short intro. If you could, could you please give the audience a, a little bit more of a background, like a cheat sheet version of the Ed Jackson story, where you've come from and how you ended up where you are today? So, um, I am born in the southwest of England in a place called Bath, um, which is where I am right now. And I was fortunate enough, like yourself, to go into a career as playing professional rugby, um, effectively as a 19-year-old kid doing PE for a living for the rest of your life. So you, that's also you think it is, and that's great. And I, I played for 10 years in the UK, Bath, Wasps, London Welsh, um, and then went over to play in Wales um, for the Dragons, which, of course, Mark, you played for as well. Um, and in 2017, so three years ago, um, I was recovering from a shoulder injury, so I went back to my parents' house for the weekend um we we went round to our family friend's house um sort of first hot day of the year and um i went down to the pool swimming pool didn't sort of it was a feature pool probably a lot like a lot of the pools you have in in uh, la actually 
not so not so common over here but there was a rock face in one side and a waterfall in one end and i dived in where the where the waterfall hit the water and of course the water was disturbed so i couldn't really see the bottom and and i just misjudged it and it was a lot shallower than i thought so i thought it was probably i don't know i thought it was a deep end so i thought six to eight feet it was only about three feet deep so smacked my head on the bottom of the pool um hit my head pretty hard you know I'd sort of been hitting my head for a living for the last 10 years playing professional rugby but I hadn't had a whack like that for a long time but I just I didn't lose consciousness I went to stand up to see if I was bleeding from the top of my head and um, it was when I tried to stand up that I quite quickly realized that something was wrong because I couldn't move so I was underwater looking at the surface um, first of all I was confused because normally it, you, you can you tell your body to move and it moves and now it wasn't but quite quickly that sort of confusion turned to panic because I was like oh shit I could drown here um and fortunately my my dad was in the pool and one of my mates and um they pulled me to the surface um and held me held me steady in the pool my dad's a retired doctor um which again was lucky so they didn't try and drag me out the pool he assumed something must be wrong with my head or or my spinal cord and and he was right I dislocated c6 and c7 vertebrae at the bottom of my neck um, and the impact on the top of my head had, had was so hard the disc had exploded, um, and that bits of disc had cut through my spinal cord. So I've got, I've got, I've gone, I've still gone from a twelve millimeter spinal cord, which is a normal sort of width for 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 you or I, and then now I've got four millimeters left. So I was very lucky um, to not be not be dead in the water, if you like. Um, uh, but I was facing a sort of a big uphill struggle now, um, and it's been a long, it's been a long journey. I was told I was never going to walk again. I didn't get any movement or sensation back for uh, five or six days, um, and then slowly but surely, with a lot of amazing support and a lot of hard work, um, things started coming back to me. So um, since then, since I left hospital, um, I've gone back into. Uh, well, it's been, I'm still go ongoing with, with my recovery and my rehab, you know, I rehab most days and or every day. And, um, that's an ongoing process as neurological injuries are. Um, and I have to keep that up so I don't regress as well, but I'm so much further down the line than I ever thought I would be despite still limping around. I've still, um, I've still got underlying medical issues related to spinal cord injuries so bladder and bowel problems and, and temperature regulation issues and all of those things that you don't really see on the surface you know people relate relate those issues spinal cord injuries and people in wheelchairs to just movement issues actually your spinal cord controls everything in neurology so it's, there's a lot more going on um, and it's just getting used to those things but I've been very fortunate now I'm in a position to go back into rugby on the on the media side so I work as the reporter for Channel 4 um, on all of the European Cup uh, what, Cup rugby um, I am also uh, one of the presenters for the upcoming Paralympics although now that is next year not this not this year unfortunately um, and uh, yeah I've started I've started my own charity so ironically given that I'm not very good at walking and especially not walking up hills um, I've got this affinity with mountains and I've always loved the outdoors and uh, after about nine months of my accident um, I was doing hours and hours of physio every day and normally 
you know yourself you know you have an injury you have a long-term injury but you've when you're rug playing rugby you've got a game or you're aiming for the next season you've got a goal in mind and then a target date and you've got a process you have to go through and you know that if you do that and you stick to your rehab and you stick to your goals then you'll make it to the other end but for me it was un it was uncertain you know it's still uncertain how much I'm going to recover um and so I found that hard. So actually, I deliberately put a target in place for the, for the 12 month mark, something for me to train towards, basically, and rehab towards. And that was to climb Mount Snowdon, which was, is the highest mountain in Wales. At the time, after nine months, I hadn't walked more than a few hundred meters out of my wheelchair. Um, so I only had three months to try and cover 12 miles and, and over a thousand feet, uh, sorry, over a thousand meters of ascent. So physios thought I was mad but I was pretty adamant I was going to get up there and and that sort of setting that goal really drove me on and and helped my recovery and eventually I got up there after nine hours and and stood on the top and managed to repay um repay some of the charities that had supported me and and got up there with a with a group with a load of people who had been there supporting me on my journey physios families and I stood on top of that on that top of that mountain and looked out, and it seemed like that culmination of a year of of hard work had, had come to that point. And and then after that, I was kind of hooked. So I was off to the Alps pretty quickly after that to climb something three times higher, to hobble up something three times higher. And then just last year, um, I was in Nepal climbing the highest trekking peak in the world, and still looking forward, still looking upwards. And and the charity that I've started is actually we we we've we raise money to um fund people to who would benefit from that adventure and that experience so we'll partner with other charities so maybe people who are going through mental health issues or, or physical disabilities and just a little bit of a junction in their life like it did for me going and achieving something you might not think you were capable of but doing it outside with a group of people i think can be very inspiring and hopefully it can be a catalyst for people to set off on a new more a, a more positive path or a new path in their life when when they might be at a bit of a junction because because it really helped me in that way so hopefully it can help others so there you go not so short but that's basically well i mean that's that's the end of the interview you just answered the next probably five questions i had for you well well you actually scratched the surface so if if you don't mind we could expand a little bit more on some of the things you mentioned there i really want to go into and the one being, and thank you for sharing all of that because we did catch up briefly before this and I asked you if, if it bothers you, you must have had to relive that, that story of the injury so many times. I mean, it, and it, I don't want to say it defines you now, but it was a defining moment in your life. And if you could just give the audience the answer you gave me, does it bother you and what feelings and emotions does it, does it trigger, does it bring up when you relive that story? Um. It doesn't really, I can still remember it very vividly. So I can take myself straight back there. And actually after I got out of hospital, what I, one of the first things I wanted to do was to go and get back in the pool. Um, I've always, you know, I was a swimmer as a, as a kid. And um, well, I'm definitely, not, I'm, I'm actually better on water now than I am on land, so, in water than I am on land. So um, I wanted to get back in the pool to, to see if there was any of those demons if you like that needed dealing with and there wasn't there wasn't at all and I think a, a large part of that was because I went through a process in hospital um, of understanding 
what the accident had given me and reframing it and restructuring it and looking at the positives from it. And by the time I got to the point of going back to the pool, I, my, my situation was already having a positive impact on other people's lives through the blog I'd started, through the people I was talking to, um, you know, not to the point that I would have not, I would have taken it back then, you know, I would have still gone back and changed it at that point, but to the point where, you know, I realized actually, if I buried in my head in the sand and, and never recounted the story, then I wasn't going to be able to help people. Um, so I started seeing the ability to recall the whole day as a positive, one of the positives of, of the situation. So I have no issues thinking about it. Um, and I think, and I don't have any issues telling the story. I've, you know, I've told it, I've told it a hundred times, you know, what? it comes out different most times, not the actual facts, but I take myself back there and I do it gladly because actually you've got to look for the positives in situations like this. And me being able to take myself there and recount that story is one of the positives um, I can take from this situation because it can impact other people. Thank you, buddy. And again, I think that's so valuable when you say that for the audience as well, going through whatever they're going through right now, being able to draw that parallel, because that was one of the questions I had. What do you think the, the key factor was to your recovery and accepting the new situation that you found yourself in, which many people are faced with right now with this coronavirus pandemic is things have changed. The routines have changed, losing jobs, maybe looking at a career change now because they might not get their job back. So thank you for that. I think we can draw a lot of inspiration from that mindset and the steps that you took. I talk about in my book, the key to survival and moving forward to thrive, which is clearly what you're doing with what you can. And, and the first step is acceptance, right? So that's what I wanted to, to hear from you is what was it that enabled you to accept? And, and you're absolutely right. Shying away from the story and not wanting to talk about it is probably not the way to accept the situation. And the fact that you face it and you look for the positives is a testament to who you are as a person and, and how you're able to keep pushing forward. So, so thank you. I just wanted to reiterate that. Um, you mentioned the... Oh, there's so much I want to ask you now, especially with the, with, with the, uh, the, with the recovery process. Um, but I just want to ask you again, we can bounce around. You mentioned the charity and you raised money uh, with, well, let's talk about the mountains. So you decided to climb a mountain. Now, one thing I want to say is it's probably a little difficult. One would expect you being a rugby player, a former rugby player, that when they hear neck injury, assume that it was on the, on the pitch, like it was for me. You know, it was in a tackle, three guys fell on my head and... That was it. I put myself in that kind of danger, as you did with rugby all the time. But it was something that anyone can do. Diving into a, a, a pool that's too shallow. Hard for people to relate, especially when I tell people I was playing rugby. It's like, I can't imagine. They can't imagine what it's like. But we can imagine. So I think that's another stark reminder to people that it could happen to you. It could happen to anyone at any moment. And I think it's important then to realize how fragile life is and 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 how it, it can be is that you seem to be have you always been this positive as a person uh leading in has the injury made you more positive or was it that positivity in your mindset that 
that has been able to get you through the way you've been able to get through? Um, I've definitely always been reasonably a reasonably positive person. I wouldn't have said I've been a negative person, but I'm. Um, if you ask my wife, I'm annoyingly positive now. Like sometimes, you know, I come back. She comes back from work. She just wants to have a whinge, and now I'm that person being like, "Come on, look at the bigger picture," and all this sort of stuff. And it's just this annoying. She can't argue with you, can she? <laughs> she can't, you, can't just say, oh. "Well, maybe she does." I don't know. It's. I mean, and don't get me wrong. You know, I still get pissed off about stuff the same way anyone else does. It just doesn't linger for anywhere near as long as it did. I've become a lot better at putting things in perspective um, because I got big, given a big dose of it. And I think um, the what the the thing you touched on about life being fragile um, or, or precious, interesting actually, because you said, you know, anyone could dive into a pool. You can imagine doing that. You know, I've dived into thousands of pools. In fact, I probably, if, normally people can remember whacking their nose or something on the bottom of a swimming pool before, because they've yeah. got it a little bit, little bit wrong. And yeah. um, so people have come close, but the thing is my mum's like, well, surely now, you wrap yourself in cotton wool. You know, I couldn't watch you playing rugby for 10 years and now you've broken your neck. Now we can just, you know, wrap yourself in cotton wool and look after yourself. But actually it's had the opposite effect. You know, I'm, I'm wobbling along cliff edges in the Himalayas at the moment. And I think it's because I did play rugby for 10 years, but it was diving into a swimming pool on a Sunday afternoon that nearly did me in. So you know, if you go through life, you know, wrapping yourself in cotton wool and protecting yourself, you might just get hit by a bus the next day. You know, life, life is fragile, but it's also short. It can also be short. So you need to, for me now, I know I need to make the most of every day because you never know when, when something like that might happen and, and, and also appreciate what you can do because a lot of people can't do it. You know, the fact that I can hobble up a mountain, I know is, is, is a privilege that I, because I know a lot of people in wheelchairs. I know people, a lot of people with complete, complete spinal cord injuries you don't have that opportunity so I don't take things like that for granted anymore and although it's more difficult for me to do it than it was before um, I appreciate it a lot more so I enjoy it a lot more that's wonderful Ed thanks for that so, so much in that as well and again so much inspiration for people to take from that uh, I like how when you were talking about your, your first couple of mountains, you, you said you climbed and then you corrected yourself and said hobbled. <laughs> like I climbed. Actually, no, I hobbled up. Can you talk to us a little bit about your physical limitations right now, where you are with regards to recovery and, and what you're aspiring to? So I have something called brown saccade syndrome, which is um, it affects about 1% of people with spinal cord injuries. And it's usually from a you usually get to see them with gunshot or stab wounds because it's where half of your spinal cord is cut quite cleanly. Um, and the level of my injury means that um, the, the motor, it's quite complicated now, but the motor nerves run down the same side of your spinal cord. So the motor nerves for the left-hand side of my body come down the spinal cord all the way down the left side, but the sensory nerves run down the opposite side. So I've cut my um, left-hand side of my cord, which has cut the motor nerves to my left, left side but the sensory nerves to my right side. So that means I have poor motor function in my left side, um, all the way down through core, leg, foot. Um, I've got foot drop on that side as well, so I can't lift my foot up, which means I have to wear like AFOs, like orthotics. And on the right side, I've got good function, but no sensation. So it's, I'm a big mismatch, sort of, it's half and half um, technical. I'm a walking quadriplegic, but, um, sort of present as a hemiplegic, so half and half, um, to get more technical about it. 
Um, and I, as I said before, I have the underly- I have quite a few underlying um, issues to go along with spinal cord injuries, which are expected. You know, bladder bladder issues. Luckily, I I don't have to catheterize regularly, and um, but I do have weakened sort of weakened pelvic floor and all those sort of things so i've got to be a lot more careful sometimes i have to wear bags and the stuff you know it's just getting used to managing life like that and um i have spaz still suffer from spasticity and spasm so sleeping can be can be an issue sometimes but it's amazing how quickly um you get used to your your new normal and at the start what was such a chore and actually because i've been way further back for quite a long time before I didn't even know if I would be walking for quite a long time I also even things like the bladder and and you know the temperature regulation even that slowly improves as well so you've had to live with it at a certain stage which means that once you've experienced that you're not so angry about where you are because you've moved forward and I think as long as I'm progressing in any way in life I'm happy as long as I'm moving forward, it's not like stopping. Because if I stopped and thought about it, if I, when I was fully fit and someone said, right, you're not going to be able to use your left hand for the rest of your life, really. You know, you can just, you can use it functionally from there to there, but you'll never be able to open it again properly. You'd be like devastated. You know, you'd be like, really? That, that you know, that's, that's going to ruin my life. <laughs> but when you chuck it in amongst all the other stuff and you've got it compared to where you were before, you're like, so what? Got another one. You know, and that's the way that your perspective shifts and the way you look at these things. And I think you go touching on the positivity side. I think I was a relatively positive person. I certainly wasn't a negative person before, but perspective makes, gives you positivity. And it's not just about being overly positive about stuff. It's just not being negative about things. You know, you spend more of your life, not angry about the little stuff, the stuff you can't affect, the stuff that doesn't really matter because you automatically subconsciously weigh it up straight away to, to, to the bigger things that, that might have might have happened before. Right. And, and again, I just want to touch on what you said. You mentioned perspective and, and, and how it could have ended up way worse. So if I can relate to that, I have that moment as well where I broke my neck. I was completely paralyzed. And then when I got feeling back, and it's vivid for me too, so I can look back and connect to that. If ever now at the moment I get into autopilot of victim mode or complaining or anything like that, I also feel like I I hear this with you recounting your experience that it could have been a lot worse. I feel like I've been given a second chance and and now I can connect to that to to make sure I'm, I'm... living my best life and doing whatever I can possibly because it could get taken away. And that's what I hear in your story. The fact that you're climbing bloody mountains tells me that as well. And is inspiration for people that aren't pushing themselves to the limit and growing every single day. I just wanted again to reiterate that and say that I completely resonate with that. Unfortunately for a lot of people, they haven't experienced some devastating loss or trauma or something that has them stare death in the face and be like, all right, well, I got to make the most of my life from now on. And that is the challenge is inspiring people. You don't want them to go through what we've been through, especially what you've been through. But you also want to use your story to inspire people to see life as the gift that it is right now. So you, you are doing that. And I, I commend you for that. And, and now that leads me to my next question about your charity, M2M. All right, so you've climbed these mountains, you're raising money. Um, I guess a two-part question. 
So your most recent achievement, which has got a lot of attention, especially mine, and I, and I love that you've done this, is you climbed Mount Everest, or the equivalent to Mount Everest, uh, in your own home, on your staircase, hobbled up the stairs for four days, uh, you know, nine, eight, 9,000 meters, is it eight, eight? You'll tell me, nearly 9,000 meters. Uh, incredible, and you raised money, in, in, in particular for the NHS. So my first question is, why did you choose the NHS as one of the charities to raise money for? And then please expand a little bit more on what M2M does. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like everyone in, we've been, we've been in lockdown, I think for four weeks and, um, there's a, I, I just come back inside the house in the morning, made a cup of tea and I was watching the news and there was a guy called, um, Captain Tom. And I don't know if you might not have heard of him over in the U S but, He's a 99-year-old guy who was walking lengths of his garden in his, with his Zimmer frame until he oh. turned 100 to raise money for the NHS. And he's ended up raising £28 million or something. And they've oh, just... That. That's incredible. Yeah, so incredible, incredible guy. And he turned 100 and the Queen upgraded him from a captain to a colonel, even though he hadn't been in the army since oh, World War II. And it's just been this, this great story that's kind of... United is a nice positive message and a positive thing to break up the the news, which was about death tolls and you know. Um, so I thought, you know, I want to help out if I can as well. The NHS is the National Health Service in in, in England, and they in the UK, and they'd actually started in in Wales by by a Welsh guy about fifty years ago. But it's kind of the pride and joy over here, and they saved my life three years ago. You know, I was resuscitated three times in the ambulance, and then. The surgeon did a nine-hour operation who saved my life again. And, and then the physios ended up getting me back on my feet. So they're obviously going through a tough time at the moment, stretched with their resources and just try to help out where I can. So I wanted to do something myself rather than cheering on from the sofa. And I always bang on about, you know, there's opportunities and adversity. And, you know, a negative situation is only a negative situation if you decide it is. Um, so I thought it was time to do something. And I knew from this period of, lockdown isolation that there would be it'd be possible it would only be a negative situation um if nothing positive came out of it so if i could look back in six months time and go actually i managed to do something during that time it wasn't necessarily a bad a bad thing and obviously with my weird um sort of obsession with mountains I, uh, he was walking around his garden and i thought i need to climb something and uh obviously um obviously the stairs was the only thing I could climb in my house. And it was my parents' house who lived next door. So we've been like isolating with them luckily because I moved back in with them after I left hospital. Mm -hmm. um, we've just moved next door because I was still in a wheelchair for quite a while. So I didn't want to ruin my stairs. Um, and I decided to climb the height. Actually the original plan was to climb the height of Snowdon, which is a thousand meters. My, the first mountain I climbed that would have taken wow. about six, six or eight hours. But the way my brain works an hour later, I was planned to do, the height of Everest over four days, so four, four 12 hour shifts it took. And I was camped at the bottom of the stairs as well in my parents' kitchen. Um, and I was hoping to just, I, I sort of did it live on social media in the morning and the evening. I was trying to inspire other people to do, you know, stay fit and healthy, get do some exercise whilst they're during lockdown, but also just have a bit of fun. You know, when we turned on the news, Captain Tom was this inspiring story. And obviously, it was never going to be anything like that but we were having a laugh with it and I you know I was in full mountaineering gear from some of it camping in my parents kitchen all these sorts of things 
and just hopefully um, give people something to smile about during during that time. Um, and uh, what I originally planned to try and raise two grand, um, and uh, we ended up raising fifty four thousand pounds in the end. So um, it was just it was amazing uh, the momentum it it got. I mean, it was mind numbingly boring because. <laughs> You know, it's normally when you're in the mountains, you can look around at these beautiful views. You've got people to talk to. And I had the same staircase over and over again. And, and yeah, there was those two hours during the day where people were online and it was great. I had some doing some Instagram live stuff, ended up chatting to some, some, some amazing people and, and having my mates come on and DJ for me whilst I was walking. But there, there was another 10 hours during that day that um, it was literally just me walking up and down the staircase. So um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, a tough it was a it was a proper test of resilience you know mentally and physically because obviously i had to do it all with one leg as well um because of my injury ended up leaving blood all over the staircase and it was a bit of a mess but um i was i i came away with just a few blisters and uh a dead leg but having raised 50 grand and and put my um put my urges for adventure to one side or qu 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 uh, quash those urges for for a yeah. little while longer anyway Congratulations. Incredible, man. I, I love that story. One thing comes to mind is, is it the only staircase in the house? How did your, uh, how did your parents deal with, with that? Not having a way to get up and down while you were on the stairs or deal with you? Did they, how did they get around? How'd you get around them? Yeah, I got, I had to, um, I had to make way for them a few times. Yeah. I got caught halfway up and down. I'd meet sort of my mum with a wash basket and things like that. <laughs> so, um, I mean, they were, they were glad when it, you know, they were very supportive and they, and that, you know, but they were glad to get me out of the house, I think, by the time the end of the fourth day, so I <laughs> removed my tent from the kitchen, you know, they get back into the washing machine and stuff. You said, you said that we talk again about making something positive, which could be in its perspective, right? We could, again, for the people in lockdown, just like you, just like me, there's a choice. We can choose to look at what we can't do anymore. We can choose to look at what we've lost, what's changed, what we might have been attached to and still attached to, and, and, and look at it as a, as a negative situation. But you've taken that, you've, you've seen it as a positive, but I see a key in that, Ed, and that is you've also, your motivations were to help others, right? So it's contributing to something else outside yourself. And once again, for everybody listening and watching, that is great inspiration to motivate them when it comes to growing yourself, turning a negative into a positive, and focusing outward on other people is a great way to do that. And probably what got you through those mundane times you talked about, incredibly and boring. And for a lot of people in their life, they might have similar situations that are tough to get through. But thinking of others, would you say, was a, a great motivating factor for that? Yeah, massive. I think it's probably been the biggest thing um, that that has come out of the last three years for me. Um, the first time it really hit home was when I was in hospital. I think I'd gone from sort of a proud young bloke and um, independent and all of a sudden everyone was having to do everything for me. You know, I couldn't even go to the toilet for myself and, you know, getting bed bathed and um, and it, and it, it was hard to deal with. It's hard to get my head around, um, but just bit feeling so useless. Um, but after, after a while, um, I started, um, sorry, one sec. 
Oh, sorry, I, couldn't, I was hearing something weird in my headphone. Um, yeah, I started the blog and, um, and then I started getting messages back saying, look, this is actually really helping me. You know, your, your story, your journey. All I was doing was documenting what was going on in hospital and I wasn't going to make it public to start with. Um, but my wife and my friend found, found my, my, my notes that I was actually recording on, on, um, on an Alexa, just because um, obviously I couldn't write. Um, and they said, you should make this public. It might help someone one day just dealing with life in hospital and you know, spending months, months on end in hospital is a weird thing in itself, never mind going through a situation where you don't know if you're ever going to walk again, all those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. it's just an interesting mental process. And when I started getting told this is really helping and thank you, um, that made me feel, that gave me a purpose again, gave me some value. And that was such a powerful feeling. Um, and now, you know, obviously that's snowballed to the point where I've got my own, you know, I've started a charity and it's almost a new purpose in life. But in a weird way, I do it because it makes me feel good as well. You know, that's the weird thing about a lot of charity. You know, it's a, it's a win-win because it's not a purely selfless act. It's not like if it made me feel horrendous, but was helping people, I might not have ever gone down that path in the first place, but I now would, uh, you know, advise people now, you know, the, the quickest way, if you're feeling down, the quickest way to make yourself feel better isn't by trying to make yourself feel better. It's go and make someone else feel better. I think as humans, we're that that's built into our DNA. You know, we're sociable creatures. We, we rely on each other. We rely on community, you know, back in the day, the cave, you know, the cavemen, you know, if you were an outlier, if you weren't adding anything to the others, you'd end up, you know, outside of the tribe and you'd end up dying because you can't survive by yourself. So I think there's a reward mechanism built into all, into all of us um, that when we do positive things that have positive impacts on other people, um, we feel good ourselves. And, and uh, I think the more I do that, that you know, the, it, it's a real purpose in life. And actually, I've said before, you know, I keep getting reminded that charity work doesn't pay the mortgage but the but the sort of emotional rewards the intrinsic rewards um for me were far outweigh the extrinsic in extrinsic value and i think for me that's changed you know that that balance in my head has changed just through the experiences i've had over the last few years wow incredible ed uh and i'm sure people are wondering as i am climbed everest inside is it on the list to do the everest outside on the real deal? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I tried to hide this for quite a while, but, but I got, it was asked it too many times, even in the build-up after I climbed Mirror Peak, because yes. I know my mum and my wife wouldn't be too, aren't too impressed with, with those plans. Um, <laughs> but they're, not, they're certainly not imminent. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't call myself an experienced mountaineer, but I've done enough to know that there is no comparison between climbing your parents' staircase and the real mountain. Good, I'm, gl- I'm glad you've realised that. It's a little bit colder and it's a lot of the altitude and, you know, you're spending months up there. But um, I would be lying to, you know, if I said that 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 it wasn't in the back of my mind. I mean, I stood on top of Mirror Peak um, and looked out and you could see from the summit of Mirror Peak, you could see seven of the 10 highest mountains in the world. And, and there Everest was, you know, it's the last one lit up in the evening by the evening sun. It's the first one lit up in the morning but we're at sunrise and, and there's a definite allure, allure to it. And I think um, one day it would be amazing to go up there, but at the same time, I'm not naive enough to know that I've got a serious, see, I've got serious physical limitations. 
and I wouldn't want to do anything reckless or stupid. And also I wouldn't want to endanger anyone else who was, who, who was trying to get me up there. So I've got a lot of respect for the mountains. Um, and if it, if it, you know, if it, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, if it's not, that's absolutely fine. There's, there's lots of other hills and mountains to climb in the world. And it's not necessarily doesn't the height necessarily isn't the thing. You know, I love, I love climbing with other people um, and watching people receive those or, or feel the sort of power that I felt the first time when I climbed up Snowdon, which is effectively just a big hill in Wales. But you know, that meant just as much to me as climbing up Mirror Peak. So it's just where you are in life and, and what it means to you is, is the most important thing. What an amazing visual that you just created for, for us with the Himalayas and, and, and Everest there lit up. So what's next for uh, M2M is your charity. It's, it, it stands for Millimetres to Mountains, which I love, uh, especially the, the significance of that, the millimetres being the millimetres that you wiggled your toe. Am I right in saying that? To then the, the, the mountains that you're climbing, literally climbing. Um, what's next for the charity? What's on the list? So, yeah, I mean, obviously millimeters of the mountains signifies, as you just said, first flicker of toe and then now me in the mountains, but it, it also, it's a metaphor for, for anyone who's sort of over trying to overcome something, you know, starting small and, and dreaming big and just taking those first steps and not being too daunted about where the end result is, you know, what the end result might be. And it's just about going through the process and those short-term goals. And for us as a charity, so we originally, it takes a long time to try and get charitable status. Um, and we're pleased to say we've just received it. So the first year we were set up as an events company, if you like, um, and raising money for other charities. Um, and in particular, a spinal unit in Nepal that we're trying to raise money to build. Uh, for to build over there now we have official charity status and the reason I set it up is because I want other people to experience what I've experienced in the mountains and people that aren't in a fortunate enough position as I am to be able to go away to the Alps or you know Nepal um, so we want to fund those trips for people um, who it, who we think it will really benefit um, obviously everything's on hold at the moment uh, with, with in the current climate I was supposed to be going on a fundraising trip to climb Mont Blanc in June, which is the highest mountain in the Alps. Um, but obviously that's been postponed to next year. Um, I am planning, I think what's looking likely is the next fundraising event is um, the Pennine Way in the UK is the longest footpath um, in the UK. It's 268 miles from the border of Scotland down to, it links all the national parks down the middle of the country. And it's known as the Spine of England, um, which is quite, you know, poignant. And uh, um, so I'm going to do that and raise money for um, the M2M Foundation um, to hopefully then run our first trip to the mountains early next year um, when we partner with another charity. But I'm also going to raise money for a charity called Wings for Life who funds spinal cord injury research looking for, looking for a cure. So I think hopefully that will happen at the end of August and I'm going to encourage as many people as possible, um, social distancing allowing um, to come and join in with me because I love doing these things with other people and, and it's the walking and talking and sharing your stories and um, that, that mean the most and I think everyone's ready to get out of the house and uh, have a good walk around in the countryside as well they definitely will be by August if we're still in lockdown thank you I think it'll be a, yes that'll be a welcome change for people uh, that sounds brilliant Ed well listen as we bring this interview to a close what I like to do is I mean there's so much in there already that people can take 
can take from and inspire them and apply it to their own situation, uh, apply it to their own mindset right now, given the anxiety and stress of, of the current pandemic. But if you could, if we could summarize just for our audience, um, for people that are going through what they're going through, and, and maybe I could, I could prompt you with this. You talked about, um, you, you talked about mindset. You talked about that acceptance. What would you say to people right now uh, in order to thrive? What advice could you, could you give them and leave us with in order to navigate this, this current pandemic the way that you are navigating change in your life right now? I think um, in this situation, obviously, we're, we're going through an uncertain time and I think uncertainty breeds anxiety. So people not knowing what, where we're going to be in a few months time, what their job might look like after this all finishes, you know, um, you know, what the economy, the state of the economy, all these sorts of things, are they going to catch it or not? All of these sort of things breed anxiety. And I think it's quite a hard thing to do, but I had to do it in hospital was actually to come to terms with the facts it's come to terms with what you can and can't affect because when I was trying to, when I was lying in intensive care, trying to wiggle my toe, I actually realized that I was spending most of the day just staring at the ceiling, thinking about what I could have done differently to not dive in that. And, and it was immobilizing me. I was just lying there, but just feeling terrible about the whole situation. So I quickly realized I had to force myself to just stay present and do what I could that day. Forget about, where I was going to end up, forget about the past because I couldn't affect that and just focus on what I could affect right there and right then to start moving forward. And it was only then that I started making progress. And this situation is very similar in the sense that if you actually write down all the things that you're worrying about, um, whether it be how long the lockdown's going to last for, whether, whether what, how ill you might get if you catch it, if other people might catch it, what, you know, um, in your case, Donald Trump's going to say tomorrow, you know, all those things you have no effect over and you realize that actually that's what you're spending most of your time worrying about. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you can park those things, actually there's a useful process is literally writing down all of those things that you're worried about and crossing out the ones that you can't affect. And you'll realize you're not left with a lot else. And then what you realize is what you are left with, which is a lot more time for a lot of us. Um, and it's just, trying to take make make positive changes with that time so for me i've been trying to just establish a more useful morning routine for example before you know i'd be off to shooting off to london or something now i've got the time to get up make sure for me i do all my stretching routine foam rolling i get up i go outside do some breathing then i sit down and do a bit of writing that morning routine i never had a chance I'd, I'd make up an excuse in my head that i didn't have time to do that now we do. And hopefully out the back of this, it will be so ingrained that I can carry it forward. So and other things like my foot splint on my left side. So now I don't have to be walking around town or on TV doing the media work. I've said I'm going to spend the whole of isolation without that foot splint on. Now, because I, I can get around without it, just not very well, not very smoothly, not very easily. But I'm in a position now where I can force myself to try and do it for six, seven, eight weeks. And I'm actually start now we're six weeks in, I'm starting to see some little changes. And I would not have had the opportunity to spend seven weeks without a footsplint on before because 
I've got work to do, I've got places to go. But that's just another way of finding a positive in this potentially negative situation. So it's being able to disengage your emotions from the situation. I suppose people who know anything about stoicism, it's kind of, it's a lot along those lines. And just looking at it for what it is um, and where you can take advantage um, and take the positives out of it. So that in six months time, you're looking back at, we're looking back at this and, and you're saying, you're either that guy saying, God, that was a nightmare. How stressful that was that? Or you're that person saying, do you know what? That was different, but actually I got, I did this, 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 and this, and I've managed to move forward in, in certain areas and certain areas we can't move forward with at the moment, but there's certain areas we can, and it's just making sure we understand those and, and then start actioning things to, to, to do it. Again, brilliant. Brilliant advice. And what I heard in that, if I could simplify it, I was told this one phrase by, from a rugby coach early in my career, and that is control the controllables. Everything you right. just said there, you could sum up and you could even that exercise that you gave, thank you very much, could be that. This is my control the controllables exercise. Write all the things down I'm worrying about. Write all the things down. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They're getting anxiety about the, the situation out there, the politics involved, the conspiracy theories, right? They're, they're jumping down the rabbit hole and really getting carried away with but what what can you control right now again just to ease that anxiety as you mentioned yeah and, so, it, and it's fine it's fine it's fine to feel anxious like that's normal what it what it's about going understanding why you're feeling anxious and as soon as you rationalize it and you understand it then that that anxiety will move away a lot quicker don't feel guilty to be worrying i'm not saying i'm sat here completely happy as larry the whole time and someone will be there going, well, that's all right for him. But I feel anxious as well, you know, at times. That's, that's, a natural, that's a natural sensation, but it's being able to rationalize it and understanding why you feel that way um, and making sense of it all means you can move on a lot quicker. Which is an important aspect of emotional intelligence. It's, it's self-awareness. Only can we use uh, why, and, and the understanding of our emotions and our feelings, then can we take the next steps to alleviating those? again, is what I'm hearing, mate. So that's, that's, it's gold. Everything you've said today is brilliant. Thank you so much, Ed. So to finish off, how can we support you moving forward? How can we create a win-win here? Well, I suppose you can just keep an eye out for, for, for things I'm doing with, with the M2M Foundation. Um, obviously, at the moment, it's not a lot, but we'll be announcing, well, as soon as we understand more about lockdown, we'll be announcing more of our fundraising activities and just you know get in touch if there's anything feel free to get in touch through social media so um spend most of most of my stuff on instagram so ed jackson eight um and feel free to get in touch if anything we've spoken about is poignant or someone you know has got a spinal cord injury and i love that interaction you know that um with people so um feel free to drop me a message if if there's anything you think that we can chat about Brilliant. Okay, we're going to have uh, all that information for people to get in touch with you. And Ed, uh, words can't describe how grateful I am, how inspired I feel right now. They've just opened up the hiking trails here in LA, so I think I'm going to go for a hike now. Thanks, buddy. After all of that, I'm feeling very lazy and, uh, and, and, and somewhat inadequate now listening to all your accomplishments. So Mate, you've inspired me and no doubt you've inspired everybody listening and watching right now. And thank you so much for your time. Cheers, Mark. It's been a, been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much, Ed. Take care, buddy. Be safe. All right. Well, 
I, I don't know what to say. That was absolutely amazing, incredible. I knew it would be, no doubt you enjoyed it as well. Thanks for joining us today and uh, be well and be safe. And we will see you at the next episode. Take care.